I sometimes read uh, public domain books here on Leaves of Glen. And they were written a long time ago, uh, so they're usually uh, racist or sexist or bigoted. Uh, but in there somewhere and all that is a, a story, and that's why those stories are famous. Other times, I read uh, works from independent authors, and they're delightfully not racist, but they might have adult language or adult situations. So that's your warning, uh, but I'm sure you uh, are grown up enough to handle it. Don't write to me complaining. Oh, oh, I thought I had the perfect system. I thought I'd beaten the odds. And I uh, rolled the dice, and um, I, had, I don't know enough dice analogies. But I thought I'd beat the system, and that I knew how to stay sane during a quarantine. It's about breaking up the routine. I wake up in the morning, and I make a pot of coffee. And then I sit down in front of my laptop and smile quietly to myself as I load all the apps I need to have people constantly harass me throughout the day. And I do my work and do a million conference calls and that sort of thing. And uh, when that low-grade stress starts to kick in, even though you don't have anything to be stressed out about, then I would get up and I go take a walk, which is kind of nice because in my neighborhood, streets that never have people on it, and it's all cars, is the other way around. People are walking all over the place. It's a ton of people. There's kids out there walking around without any parents for the first time in like 20 years. Uh, it's like being in the 1980s again. It's just weird and nice. Or a post-apocalyptic scenario. I haven't really decided yet. But the point is that if my yeah, dinner time rolls around, I go work in the yard. And, uh, and I don't know, do whatever else. But I just don't sit in front of the computer. Now, uh, with my kids around... We've been watching Studio Ghibli movies like Howl's Moving Castle and Spirited Away and uh, Ponyo. And that's been fun. We watch one or maybe two a night sometimes. It's a little event to kind of break up the evening. And then we all have fun. The kids go out for walks with me too if they're around that during that week. And it's all good stuff. But then it got cold out. Suddenly you can't leave the house. I mean, you can, but it's not any fun or anything. Uh... I'm not going to take the kids out to go to the Target. It's just dangerous. So we all just sit in the house. Yeah, you can't get away from the computer. And so then it's like on lunch break, I take a nap because I don't know what else to do. And then it's, you wander around the house and like try to clean, but that's just frustrating and weird because then you get like an email or something and you got to answer. The whole thing's dumb. My kids don't even want to watch the movies anymore. They just want to sit in their room. So I was going nuts. All week this week. And uh, finally, one of my childhood friends, uh, who I see every month or so, uh, Corey, he texted and said, hey, you want to talk on the phone? And I said, oh my God, is something wrong? What happened? And he said, no, I just went bored. I want to talk on the phone. Because we never talk on the phone. In the last 10 years, I can count maybe five or six times tops that we've ever talked on the phone. So I was like, oh, weird. And I did it, and it was refreshing to sit and talk about work stories and people we know and car payments and uh, mortgages. It was just refreshing. And I was like, oh my God, I needed this. I had no idea I even needed this. And then after that, a friend of mine from Japan texted me saying, hey, we should talk on the phone. So I talked to her. And I was so in the end, two hours of adult conversation. And it was where I could say anything. And not like the conference calls. 
I can say anything I want. I can make a joke about a, a man's wiener. It doesn't matter. Hey, you're not going to get fired or hear about it in a review. So, the watchword for this week is chasing the dragon, which isn't one word. But once I talk to a grown-up, that's all I think about. I spent all day today thinking, God, who else can I talk to on the phone? I just need to reach out and have a conversation with another human being. And I can't think of anyone. I mean, I can think of people, but I don't want to bother anybody. So I'm recording this podcast. And uh, after that, I guess I'll just go back upstairs and read a book. I don't know. I don't know anyone that wants to sit and talk on the phone at 9.30 at night. So that's, uh, that's my theme, Chasing the Dragon. Let's see how we can tie this in. Uh, let's learn about the author uh, for this week's book. This week's book is Gods of the North by Robert Irvin Howard. Robert Irvin Howard, born January 22nd, 1906 to June 11th, 1936, was a classic American pulp writer of fantasy, horror, historical adventure, uh, boxing, uh, western, and detective fiction. Howard wrote, quote, over 300 stories and 700 poems of raw power and unbridled emotion, unquote and is especially noted for his memorable depictions of a somber universe of swashbuckling adventure and darkling, darkling horror. <clears throat> he is well known ah, for having created, in the pages of the legendary Depression-era pulp magazine Weird Tales, the character of Conan the Sumerian, a.k.a. Conan the Barbarian, a literary icon whose pop culture imprint can be compared to such icons as Tarzan of the Apes, Sherlock's Home, Sherlock's Holmes, whatever, and James Bond. Between Conan and his other heroes, Howard created the genre now known as sword and sorcery in the late 1920s and early 30s, spawning a wide swath of imitators and giving him an influence in the fantasy field rivaled only by J.R.R. Tolkien and Tolkien's similarly inspired creation of the modern genre of high fantasy. There is no evidence that Tolkien was influenced by the earlier author, however. Oh, that was mean. A full century after his birth, Howard remains a seminal figure, with his best work endlessly reprinted. He has been compared to other American masters of the weird, gloomy, and spectral, such as Nathaniel Hawthorne, Herman Melville, and Jack London. So, with that, let's begin. Across the red drifts and mail-clad forms, two figures glared at each other. In that utter desolation, only they moved. Their frosty sky was over them, a white illimitable plain around them, the dead men at their feet. Slowly, through the corpses they came, as ghosts might come to a tryst uh, through the shambles of a dead world. In the brooding silence, they stood face to face. Both were tall men, uh, built like tigers. Their shields were gone, their corslets battered and dinted, blood dried on their mail, their swords were stained red, their horned helmets showed the marks of fierce strokes. One was beardless and uh, black-maned. The locks and beard of the other eh, were red as the blood on the sunlit snow. Ooh. Man, said he, tell me your name, so that my brothers in Vanheim may know 
who was the last of Wolfhair's band to fall before the sword of Hemadul. Oh boy, it's one of these. Not in Vanaheim, growled the black-haired warrior, but in Valhalla will you tell your brothers that you met Conan of Samaria. Hamdul roared and leaped, his sword flashed in deathly arc. Conan staggered, and his vision was filled with red sparks as the singing blade crashed on his helmet, shivering into bits of blue fire. But as he reeled, he thrust with all his power of his broad shoulders behind the humming blade. The sharp point tore through the brass scales and bones and heart, and the red-haired warrior died at Conan's feet. <laughs> the Sumerian stood upright, trailing his sword, a sudden sick weariness assailing him. The glare of the sun on the snow cut his eyes like a knife, and the sky seemed shrunken and strangely apart. He turned away from the trampled expanse where yellow-bearded warriors lay locked with red-haired slayers in the embrace of death. A few steps he took, uh, and the glare of the snow fields, he was suddenly dimmed. A rushing wave of blindness engulfed him, and he sank down into the snow, supporting himself on one mailed arm. Seeking to shake the blindness out of his eyes as a lion uh, might shake his mane. A silvery laugh cut through the dizziness, and his sight cleared slowly. He looked up. There's a strangeness about all the landscape that he could not place it to find an unfamiliar tinge to the earth and sky. But he did not think long of this, because before him, swaying like a sapling in the wind, stood a woman. Her body was like ivory to his dazed gaze, and save for the light veil of gossamer, she was naked as the day. <laughs> Her slender bare feet uh, were whiter than the snow they spurned. She laughed down at the bewildered warrior. Her laughter was sweeter than the rippling of silvery fountains and poisonous with cruel mockery. Who are you? asked the Sumerian. Whence come you? What matter? Her voice was more musical than a silver-stringed harp, but it was edged with cruelty. Call up your men, said he, grasping his sword. Yet though my strength fail me, they shall not take me alive. I see that you are a veneer. Have I said so? His gaze went again to her unruly locks, which at first glance he thought to be red. Now he saw that they were neither red nor yellow, but a glorious compound of both colors. He gazed spellbound. Her hair was like elfin gold. The sun struck it so dazzlingly that he could scarcely bear to look upon her. Her eyes were likely, likewise neither wholly blue nor wholly gray, but of shifting colors and dancing lights and clouds of colors he could not define her. Full red lips smiled, and from her slender feet to the blindness. What's with the feet? To the blinding crown of her billowy hair, her ivory body was as perfect as the dream of God. Conan's pulse hammered in his temples. I cannot tell, said he, whether you are Venerian or my enemy, or of Asgard and my friend. Far as I have wandered, but a woman like you I have never seen. Your locks blind me with their brightness. Never have I seen such hair, not even among the fairest daughters of Aster, by Yammer. Who are you to swear by Yammer, she mocked. Ah, uh, you know, of the gods of ice and snow, uh, you who have come up from the south to adventure among an alien people? Uh, by the dark gods of my own race, he cried in anger, though I am not of the golden-haired Aster, 
none has been more forward in swordplay. This day I have seen fourscore men fall, and I alone have survived the field where Wolfhair's Reavers met the wolves of Braggy. Oh, God. So many fake names. Tell me, eh, woman, have you seen the flash of mail out across the snow plains? We've seen our men, ah, moving upon the ice. I have seen the hoarfrost glittering in the sun, ah, she answered. I have heard the wind whispering across the everlasting snows. He shook his head at the sigh. Nord should have come up with us before the battle joined. I fear he and his fighting men have been ambushed. Wolf here and the warriors lie dead. I thought there was no village within many leagues of this spot, for the war carried us far. But you cannot have come a great distance over these snows, uh, naked as you are. <laughs> Lead me to your tribe. If you are of Asgard, for I am faint with blows and the weariness of strife. Uh, my village is further than you can walk, Conan of Samaria, she laughed, spreading her arms wide. As she swayed before him, her golden head lolling sensuously, her skindlant eyes half-shadowed beneath their long silken lashes. Am I not beautiful, oh man? Like dawn... Running naked on the snows, he muttered, his eyes burning like those of a wolf. Then why did you not rise and follow me? Who is the strong warrior who falls down before me? She chanted in maddening mockery. Lie down and lie down in the snow with the other fools, Conan of the black hair. He cannot follow where I'd lead. With an oath, the Sumerian heaved himself up on his feet, his blue eyes blazing, his dark scarred face contorted, rage shook his soul, but desire for the taunting figure before him hammered at his temples and drove his wild blood fiercely through his veins. Passion, ah, fierce as physical agony, flooded his whole being so that the earth and the sky swam red to his dizzy gaze. In the madness that swept upon him, weariness and faintness were swept away. He spoke no word as he drove at her, fingers spread to grip her soft flesh. With a shriek of laughter, she leapt back and ran, laughing at him over her white shoulder. With a long growl, Conan followed. He had forgotten the fight, eh, forgotten the mailed warriors who lay in their blood, forgotten Yord and the reavers who had failed to reach the fight. He had thought only for the slender white shape which seemed to float rather than run before him. Out across the white blinding plain, the chase led. The trampled red field fell out of sight behind him, but Conan still kept on with the silent tenacity of his race. His mailed feet broke through the frozen crust. He sank deep in the drifts and forged through them by sheer strength. But the girl danced across the snow, light as a feather, ah, floating across a pool. Her naked feet, again with the feet, barely left their imprint on the hoarfrost that overlaid the crust. In spite of the fire in his veins, a cold bit through the warrior's mail and fur-lined tunic. But the girl in her gossamer veil ran as lightly, as gaily, as if she danced through the palm and rose gardens of Potain. Another made-up name. On and on she led, and Conan followed. Black curses drooled through the Sumerian's parched lips. The great veins in his temples swelled and throbbed, and his teeth gnashed. Yeah, you cannot escape me,' he roared. "'Lead me into a trap, and I'll pile the heads of your kinsmen at your feet.' Hide from me, and I'll tear apart the mountains to find you. I'll follow you to, to hell. Her maddening laughter floated back to him, 
and foam flew from the barbarian's lips further and further into the way she led him. The land changed. The wide plains gave way to low hills, marching upward in broken ranges. Far to the north, eh, eh, he caught a glimpse of the towering mountains, blue in the distance, or white with the turtle snows. Above these mountains shone the flaring rays of the borealis. They spread, eh, fanwise into the sky. Frosty blades of cold, flaming light, changing in color, eh, growing and brightening. Above him, the skies glowed and crackled with strange lights and gleams. The snow shone weirdly, now frosty blue, now icy crimson, and now cold silver. Through a shimmering icy realm of enchantment, Conan plunged doggedly onward in a crystalline maze where the only reality was the white body dancing across the glittering snow beyond his reach, ever beyond his reach. He did not wonder at the strangeness of it all, not even when two gigantic figures rose up to bar his way. The scales of their mail were white with hoarfrost. Their helmets uh, and their axes were covered with ice. Snow sprinkled their locks and their beards and spiked of icicles. Their eyes were cold as the lights that streamed above them. And brothers, cried the girl, danced between them. Uh, look who follows. I brought you a man to slay. Take his heart. We may lay it on the smoking on our father's board. The giants answered with roars like the grinding of icebergs on a frozen shore and heaved up their shining axes as the maddened Sumerian hurled himself upon them. A frosty blade flashed before his eyes, blinding him with its brightness, and he gave back a terrible stroke that sheared through the foe's thigh. With a groan, yeah, the victim fell, and at that instant, Conan was dashed into the snow, his left shoulder numb from the blow of the survivor, from which the Sumerian's male had barely saved his life. Conan saw the remaining giant looming high above him like a colossus carved device, etched against the cold, glowing sky. The axe fell to sink through the snow and deep into the frozen earth as Conan hurled himself aside and leapt to his feet. The giant roared and wrenched his axe free. But even as he did, Conan's sword sank down. The giant's knees bent and sank slowly into the snow, which turned crimson with the blood that gushed from his half-severed neck. Conan wheeled to see the girl standing a short distance away, staring at him in wide-eyed horror. Oh, all the mockery gone from her face. She cried out fiercely, and the blood drops flew from his sword, and his hand shook at the intensity of the passion. Call the rest of your brothers, he cried. I'll give their hearts to the wolves. You cannot escape me. With a cry of fright, she turned and ran fleetly. She did not laugh now, nor mock him over her white shoulder. She ran as for her life, and though he strained every nerve and then uh, threw, until his temples were like to burst and the snow swam red in his gaze, she drew away from him, dwindling in the witch fire of the skies, until she was a figure no bigger than a child, then a dancing white flame on the snow, then a dim blur in the distance. But grinding his teeth until the blood started from his gums, he reeled on, and he saw the blur grow to a dancing white flame, and the flame is the figure of a, of a child. And then it was running less than a hundred paces ahead of him, and slowly the pace narrowed foot by foot. She was running with effort now, her golden locks blowing free. He heard the quick panting of her breath and saw a flash of fear in the look she cast over her white shoulder. The grim endurance of the barbarian had served him well. The speed ebbed from her flashy white legs. She reeled in her gait. 
In his untamed soul leapt up the fires of hell she had fanned so well. With an inhuman roar, he closed in on her, just as she wheeled with a haunting cry and flung out her arms to fend him off. This is starting to get gross. His sword fell into the snow as he crushed her to him. Her lithe body bent backward as she fought with desperate frenzy in his iron arms. Her golden hair blew about his face, ah, blinding him with its sheen. The feel of her slender body twisting in his mailed arms drove him to blinder madness. His strong fingers sank deep into her smooth flesh, and that flesh was as cold as ice. It was as if he embraced not a woman of human flesh and blood, but a woman of flaming ice. She writhed her golden head aside, striving to avoid the fierce kisses that bruised her lips. Yeah, this is starting to get disturbing. You are as cold as the snows, he said. He mumbled dazedly. I will warm you with a fire of my own blood. With a scream and a desperate wrench, she slipped from his arms, leaving her single gossamer garment in his grasp. She sprang back and faced him, her golden locks in wild disarray, her white bosom heaving, her beautiful eyes blazing with terror. For an instant, he stood frozen, awed by her terrible beauty as she posed naked against the snows. And in that instant, she flung her arms toward the lights that glowed in the skies above her and cried out in a voice that rang in Conan's ears forever after, Ymir, oh, my father, save me! Conan was leaping forward, arms spread to seize her, when, with a crack, uh, like the breaking of an ice mountain, the whole skies leapt into icy fire. Yeah, the girl's ivory body was suddenly enveloped in cold blue flame, so blinding that the Sumerian threw up his hands to shield his eyes uh, from the intolerable blaze. A fleeting instant, skies and snowy hills were bathed in cracking white flames, uh, blue darts of icy light and frozen crimson fires. Then Conan staggered and cried out. The girl was gone. The glowing snow lay empty and bare high above his head. The witch lights flashed and played in a frosty sky gone mad. And among the distant blue mountains there sounded a rolling thunder as of a gigantic war chariot rushing behind steeds whose frantic hooves struck lightning from the snows and echoes from the skies. Then suddenly the Borealis, the snow-clad hills and the blazing heavens, reeled eh, drunkenly to Conan's sight. Thousands of fireballs eh, burst with showers of sparks, and the fire itself eh, became a titanic wheel, which rained stars as it spun. Under his feet, the snowy hills heaved up like a wave, and the Sumerian crumpled under the snow to lie motionless. In a cold, dark universe whose sun was extinguished eons ago, Conan felt the movement of life, alien and unguessed. An earthquake had him in its grip and was shaking him to and fro, at the same time chafing his hands and feet until he yelled in pain and fury and groped for his sword. Uh, "'He's coming too, Horsa,' said the voice. "'Haste, uh, we must rub the frost out of his limbs if he's ever to wield a sword again.' Yeah, "'He won't open his left hand,' growled another. "'He's clutching something.' Conan opened his eyes and stared into the bearded faces that bent over him. He was surrounded by tall, golden-haired warriors in mail and furs. Uh, Conan, you live! By Krom Njord, gasped the Sumerian. I am alive, or are we all dead in Valhalla? Uh, we live, grunted Aster, busy over Conan's half-frozen feet. Feet? We have had to fight our way through an ambush. Or we've had to come up with you before the battle was joined. The corpses were scarce cold 
when we came upon the field, we did not find you among the dead, so we followed your spore. Huh? In Yammer's name, Conan, why did you wander off into the wastes of the north? Yeah, we followed your tracks in the snow for hours. Had a blizzard come up and hidden them, we'd never found you by Yammer. Swear someone not so often by Yammer, uneasily muttered a warrior, glancing the distant mountains. This is his land, and the god bides among yonder mountains, the legends say. Uh, I saw a woman, Conan answered hazily. We met Braggy's men in the plains. I know not how long we fought. I alone ah, lived. I was dizzy and faint, and the land lay like a dream before me. Only now do all things seem natural and familiar. The woman came and taunted me. She was beautiful as a frozen flame from hell. A strange madness fell upon me when I looked at her. Yeah, so I forgot all else in the world. I followed her. Yeah, did you not find her tracks? Where are the giants and the icy male I slew? Nord shook his head. Uh, I found only your tracks in the snow, Conan. Ah, then it must be I am mad, said Conan dazedly. Yet you yourself are no more real to me than the golden-locked witch who fled naked across the snows before me. Yet from under my very hand she vanished in icy flame. Yeah, he's delirious, whispered a warrior. Not so, cried an older man, whose eyes were wild and uh, weird. It was Atali, the daughter of Yammer, the frost giant. Uh, to fields of dead she comes and shows herself to the dying. Uh, myself, when I was a boy, I saw her when I lay half slain in the bloody field of a wolf raven. I saw her walk among the dead in the snows. I her naked body gleaming like ivory and her golden hair unbearably bright in the moonlight. I lay in a howl like a dying dog so I could not crawl after her. Uh, she lures men uh, from stricken fields into the wastelands to be slain by her brothers, the ice giants, uh, who... It lay men's hearts smoking on Yammer's board. The Sumerian has seen Itali, uh, the frost giant's daughter. Bah, grunted Horsa. Old Gorm's mind is touched in his youth by a sword cut to the head. Conan was delirious from the fury of battle. Look how his helmet is dented. Any of those blows might aid the brain. It is a hallucination. Uh, he followed into the waist. Uh, he is from the south. What does he know of Itali? Ah, uh, you speak the truth, perhaps, muttered Conan. It was all strange and weird by Crom. Hmm. He broke off, glaring at the object that still dangled from his clenched left fist. The others gaped silently at the veil he held up. A wisp of gossamer that was never spun by human distaff. Well, that wasn't so bad. Uh, I didn't mind that at all. I mean, except for the rapey parts. That was weird. But uh, I didn't mind the story. It was uh, action-packed, I guess. Um, or I'm just going insane from being in the house so much that suddenly Conan the Barbarian stories is the height of literature for me right now. Hell, this might even become the uh, Conan during a quarantine podcast. Ah, heck. I might have to just do that. Just nothing but Conan stories from now on till the quarantine lifts. Just punish everyone, as I am also being punished. How does this tie in with what I was saying before? Uh, oh, Chasing the Dragon. Wow, it worked perfectly this time. Uh, I chase after uh, talking to grown human adults, and I crave it, and I can't get enough of it, and I want more. Uh, much like Conan chased after this woman. I, on the other hand, won't force a person to talk to me on the phone against their will. 
Uh, that was a weird twist in the story I wish never happened, but, but otherwise it's very apt. An apt analogy. So there you have it. Uh, this just might turn into the Conan podcast. Or maybe I'll come to my senses by tomorrow when I have to record another episode. So with that, thanks for listening, and uh, I hope you have a good week. <laughs>